0: April 19th, 2023. Let's continue in our learning of Morene Nebuchim, uh, but return back to what maybe 10 or so classes ago we discussed and read in a bit of a different context and that is in Hailek Aleph and Perik Zayin. So we're returning to this Perik. Now the way we encountered this Perik the first time was in the early stages of our Limud, of our study of Morey Nebuchim. We were talking at the time about a, a concept which we carried through and will to a certain extent return to and continue carrying through tonight and that was Harambam's general picture and direction with regards to refinement of human beings, of Am Israel, as imagining and realizing that it's refining and perfecting our intellect. To understand Salem Elohim, he told us in the very early of Morey Nebuchim, is to understand a circumstance, a situation where a person has refined their thought, their perceptions, their understandings are now In the Domain, we discussed at the beginning of the Moreh of emet and sheker, they've come to seeing the world through the prism of truth, through the prism of Torah. Uh, That's what we're searching for, that's what we're seeking in our lives. Mitzvot are there to aid us in this process. Obviously there are other dimensions to mitzvot in terms of setting up societal uh, law and structure, but ultimately speaking, that's what we're searching for, that's what we're seeking. And as a result, by extension, Harambam's discussion, which we spend time on as well, of Kedushav, Taharav, matters of that sort, are not to be seen, he tells us time and again, as matters of essence, they're rather directions, they're rather ways in which we, uh, through our minds and bodies, bring ourselves to greater and deeper understandings of truth. Uh, that's what it is. So, to understand Kiddushah as some sort of inherent and uh, reality which is of essence that uh, stands separate from anything else, and Tum'ah as some sort of uh, creepy, crawling, ex- existential threat and reality, for Haram Bam, there's no such reality, there's no such thoughts. These are concepts, these are constructs which the Torah instructs us about in order to bring us to a better character and fine-tuned uh, uh, minds and, and appreciation, understanding of reality. It was in that context, which is what the context has been to a certain extent throughout, shifting it in one way or another in order to tease out this sort of idea, that we, we discussed and read about how Harambam described the birth of shit, Sheet being the third child of Adam as the first one, so to speak, who got it right. He read the Pesukim in the Torah and the description of Sheth, in contrast to Cain and Hevil, is that Sheth was born with the Tzelem and Demut of Adam. Adam was born with Tzelem and Demut of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Those words without getting into the specific words of Bam on this matter, are a description of the intellect, not of, uh, I don't know, uh, physical or emotional, it's of the intellect. The Tselem Elokim, that's inherent to human beings under many circumstances, is a mind which is fi- fine-tuned for the reality of truths. Uh, that being the case, he talked about how Sheet was the first of those children. He described in contrast how Adam, with the birth of Kain and Hevel, and by extension over the course of the first 130 years of his life until he gives birth to Sheet, I had many other children. But those children were not children who had this Salem Melukim, he's deducing from the Torah, because he hadn't instructed them, that's what we paid careful attention to, he hadn't taught them in order to bring them to that perfected mind. So I, I want to return to that and specifically hit the point that we alluded to and even read inside at the time, where Harambam describes a Midrash that he cites as um, attributing the name to these children who were born before Sheet, and they were known as Shedim. Those were the words of Harambam, and Harambam defined for us Shedim in a little bit of, uh, well, not the way that you and I would imagine. When the Gemara mentions Shedim, or Mazikin, and matters of that sort, generally speaking, we translate them as demons, we translate them as uh, demonic beings who would affect or have potential to affect you and me. Bam had an interesting perspective. These were the children who were born to Adam and Hava, to Adam, prior to uh, Shed. These were the children who were born without uh, Adam having instructed them and brought them to Tzelem Elohim. That's what a Shed is and was. That's very significant. That already brings us to the topic of the class tonight and that is that for Harambam, this thought, this concept of their being challenges in existence from some sort of spirit or spirits that lay outside of the divine realm, no such thing. Shedim for Harambam, now he's not the only to think like this, but he's certainly somewhat novel in this respect. Shedim for Harambam are retranslated. Whenever the rabbis mention this name, Shed, um, which is in many circumstances, either directly or they allude to it in Talmud, Harambam will need to, based on this interpretation, have some sort of clever interpretation to why they said that and what they meant, because after all, his description of Shedim in this context is and not of demonic beings, no such thing for Harambam. That would defy his general description of there's no such thing as an inherent essence of Tum'ah. There's no such thing as an inherent, even amazingly, generally speaking, matter of Kiddushah, aside from God himself, although we fine-tune that uh, but that, that being the case, those are the paragraphs I'd like to return to and just bring you a little bit forward with regards to Harambam's uh, discussion of these matters elsewhere and how that really will shape up. So we're here in, um, in, in Helek Aleph and Perik Zayin. We had read already this entire perik, but on page 41 here in the third paragraph. Now really what Haram Bam is doing in this perik, if you recall, is he's defining the word yeled or yalad, birth, and he points out how birthing Maybe you and I will, generally speaking, use it with regards to children, but birthing ideas, the ground, can birth things, and so forth. And as a result, to talk about, to talk about growth that comes from need not mean the biological. It can also mean the theoretical or the conceptual. In this context, writes alazot, Based on this idea that I can describe uh, those whom I've taught as my children, is what the rabbis do, I can do based on why they made children. I've birthed them knowledge. I've grown them in certain ways beyond the physical. Ne'emar al-adam, it's in that context, based on using the word and understanding it in that way. adam sheloshimu bid'mutok yitzalmo, shemoshet. His understanding of the birth of sheit is that this birth was greater than just a physical birth. It's the birth of true intellect within shit ukvar huspar lifnechen mahimashvautz elamadamut muto Mikan shekol hayeledim shekademu la all the children who preceded shit including kayin and havelohi giulekach shetiye lehem hasurah eno shit beemet they didn't have true form of human beings asheri telamadamut muto va shenema alehem etsela melohi muto they didn't have this refined and perfected intellect which is that of you know, we we attribute to godliness itself. That's in contrast to this Shet, his third child, whom he taught and explained and fine tuned his mind. It's for that reason it's said about him. The birth of Shet means he birthed into Shet, he grew from Shet knowledge. True understandings. Mikan, based on this, as Haranbam the We learn Shikol misha lo Any person who hasn't come to that fine, refined thought and intellect and understanding and perception of truths, she tiel lo hatsura et mashmauta. Enu ben adam ella ba'al Sounds a little harsh but says Harambam, you're not a human being if you haven't come to that because our definition of human beings is Tzelem Elokim. Tzelem Elokim is defined in turn in Maimonidean terms. This is not meant to put down other people or other things. This is meant in Maimonidean, Harambam's vision. Tzelem Elokim means you've come to that perception of truths in your mind. You don't have that? Well, then you don't have Telem Elokim. You're not a human being. But I look like a human being. I seem. I talk like one. But you're not a true human being because a true human being is a person who utilizes their mind appropriately. He appears. He seems to be a human being. He has abilities. He is. He's, he's, he is separated not only from human beings but even from animals. Maybe he's greater than animals. Says Rambam, he's worse than animals. A human being who lacks proper intellect is worse than animals. For what reason? He says because human beings have the potential to use their mind and to refine it. Their potential is greater than that of animals. Animals who have less potential, which will live life with less capabilities to use their mind to affect reality, have less harm that they can cause. Human beings who have more potential but haven't refined their thought, in turn, are a lot more dangerous, he writes. Uh, in my mind, easy to understand. Zot mikivan she machshava v'shikul hadat she lo muchanim lehasagat teshlemut she lo hu sega hu mfail otem bemine tahpulot gormot gormot maasim raim hamolidot pegaim a person who hasn't come to Tzelem elokim uses their mind but uses it in a detrimental, um, um, harmful way. Mikan based on this, says Haram shu kivyachol. The Davar had person who doesn't have this is like human beings, or he copies human beings. He's similar in some respect.. And that indeed were the children who preceded she'et Midrash, And now he cites from a Midrash. All the years in which Adam was, so to speak, distanced after the banishment that the Torah describes from the Ga'an. He was giving birth, he was giving birth to spirits. He defines the word in the Midrash of spirits to be, well, it sounds like demons. What what do you mean? Ka holy domelo when he was up to it, when he when he when he made peace with God with himself, he then gave birth to children similar to him. so what is the definition based on context based on the simple reading of sure what do you mean Once Adam
1: willed it, once he was no
0: nirza milashan Once he was um, got a once he made peace with God. Uh, okay. Ritsui means to you know, get, get, uh, to, make, uh, to, to make amends, once he made amends, he was nazuf from God, which Bam defines as his mind was not set straight. Once he straightened it, he straightened his children or child that he had at that time as well. But his definition then of shedim, he made quite clear for us. It's not some sort of demon spirit, which is separate from the world that you and I know it, kind of threatening ourselves in some sort of God domain. No! says so as Arambam, you want to know what those beings that were being birthed during that time? They probably looked like other human beings. Now, the only thing is, they weren't regular human beings. Well, they seemed like, they talked like that, but they weren't, because their minds weren't etzeh Me'lokim because those human beings were not human beings, they were appearing like human beings, but in truth, what he describes in the terminology of the rabbis, shedim. That being the case, what Harambam effectively has done over here is completely turn all the magical, mystical references, it appears, of the Talmud of the Midrashim with regards to Shedim, well, they're demons, what happened to them, where'd they go? Bam has effectively told us that that word, much as he does with Hebrew very often, is not a word simply defined by the way people use it today, or even used it uh, hundreds of years ago. The word is instead defined as a spirit of sorts, which can and will be, similar to you and me, but might not have the mind of a person or does not have the mind of a person who's truly refined it. Now, that being the case, again, this is directly in line with anything and everything we, to a certain extent, expect from Harambam. Harambam's vision over here is we're not dealing, we're not contending with other forces and essences outside of our regular, normal, understandable domain. A shed, in turn, would be a challenge to him. Not a challenge at all. How is that Midrash alternatively defined, which will in turn give us a little perspective of the novelty of Haram Bam over here. So there is a, a, a somewhat well-known commentary it's cited by Radak. Radak was Rabbi David Kimhi. He lived in southern France. He was a 12th century commentator to the Torah. And in his commentary to Bereshit, right there in Pereke, in Pasugimal, he cites from Rabenu Nisim Gaon, who in turn was citing from Rabbenu Sheri Ragaon. So we're going back a good thousand years in terms of this interpretation. The interpretation that, that he, Rabbenu Rav Sheri Ragaon, set forth was listen to it for a moment, appreciate it, was. Well, when the Midrash, he really quotes a Gemara, we'll discuss the words in the Gemara in a moment, describes these spirits, or even demons, that were born, Uh, he as well doesn't deny or doesn't uh, suggest that Havar, whoever Adam's having these children with, is birthing uh, some sort of uh, spiritual being. But what it is a description of is deformed bodies. It's children and human beings whose bodies were deformed. That's what the Midrash is referring to. Pause for a second and appreciate how Harambam, in line with his predecessors, does define shedim and those sorts of matters, not in the way that we perhaps would expect it. It is somewhat allegorical. But instead of defining the blemish in the body... That's not what a blemish is about. So you have a bodily deformity. That doesn't define you as not having a Tzelem That doesn't define you as a Shed. That doesn't define you as anything less than a regular, it's a question of the mind that in and of itself is very significant, at least in my mind, um, that divide. Both explaining a Midrash, not in its simple interpretation, but each one of them, Rabbeinu Rav Dago, and bringing us in the physical world, uh, what you see and, and feel, and Harambam very consistently keeping us in the mind. Uh, the truth is, and I'll just mention it briefly because we'll return to it in a moment or two, uh, Radak is quoting from a Gemara and Masechet Eruvin, which is almost identical to the Midrash Harambam quote which is a little curious then, why did Haram Bam quote from a Midrash instead of from the Gemara? The Gemara has Midrashim as well, but it's a little bit more accessible. Generally speaking, we'll cite from, from Gemara. He and pretty much everyone will quote from Gemara instead of from Midrash. Here's the words in the, in the Gemara that Radak cites in Source 1 and the first line, Kolo Tamashanim, those 130 years, Shahaya Amarishon he was separated, distanced from God. Hayamolid, listen to the words of the Gemara, ruhin, spirits, that we had in the Midrash, shedin, vililin. Shedim and lilin are also these, these, these common words with regards to spirits. So this the, the Gemara's wording is a little bit more direct. Harambab took ruhot and said, well, that means shedim, which means, the Gemara mentions those, it's, it's somewhat, and if you read, as we should, and we don't enough, every word of the moreh very carefully, you pick up on the fact that he quoted this midrash instead of the Gemara, and you wonder why. We're going to leave that for a moment on the back burner. But our objective, our understanding then in this context is the consistency of bam uh, his approach to this matter, an issue we took up in the past but are fine-tuning its significance. This was as you might understand and imagine based on what we've discussed until now, not without controversy. This approach of Harambam in distancing, in his mind, um, the magical uh, mentions even in the Torah of Hover uh, Haver, for example, whom, which we'll talk about in source number five, of a Mechashef, of a Nohesh, of, of all these sorts of witchcraft and sorcery and all these sorts of issues which the Torah forbids and saying those are not matters of essence, that's all a joke, that's all not for real, that's what they used to believe. Uh, not, certainly not the simple reading of the Torah, and as a result, not in his time even, the most traditional one, certainly not after his time. Some several hundred years later, in the 18th century, Gaon Mivilna in his Hagahot, in his glosses to shohan Aruch, who cited Harambam of source number five, in Siman Kof Aintet of Yore De'a, Gaon Mivilna picks up on this and says, something's wrong here. Shohana Aruch is quoting from Harambam, there's an issue here. You have to understand, Haram Bam's words were really blemished. He's the one who's blemished. His mind was taken astray. It's a skewed mode of thought. He cites Haram as the source. Ken Katav Beferusha Mishnah is a very famous Hagaha, glosses to Shahana Ruchav Gaon Mivilna, the Perikdal Davudazara Aval. Here's the words of Gaon Mivilna. Everyone who came after Harambam, they disagreed with him. The Gemara talks about a lot of these whisper incantations which help cure, change reality. Harambam was ruined by this philosophy, which of course Gaon Mivilna is suggesting is not per se a part of our tradition. Now in the brackets on purpose is the word ha'arura, the cursed philosophy. There is controversy about that word ha'arura and then those last words, in the, in, in the last line, that you throw the philosophy into the garbage, about whether Gaon Mivilna wrote those words or not. haham Vadya Yosef and his Yabiyam Aleph brings that there's a debate amongst his students about whether Gaon Mivilna was that harsh. It doesn't matter in my mind whether he was that harsh or not. His words will speak for themselves. Whether he says you should throw it into the garbage and philosophy is cursed or not, he says the Harambam's opinion on this matter is a lethal, Opinion. It's because Arambam was driven astray or moved off the straight path because of philosophy that he believed. Amulets and witchcraft and names having powers are all uh, false. He was already hit on his proverbial head. We find many cases in the Gemara where there are names.
1: It's classic Ashkenazi, uh, ideological
0: stuff. I, it's an interesting point. I'm not sure exactly which way you're going to go because I know many Svaradim who are very driven by Chemot, Le Hashim, and Keshafim. So if that's... If that's your, uh, I don't know. Okay. If you... That's certainly true. Um, the, he said he said today post Harambam, I wasn't right. sure what today meant. Um, certainly in the Gionim, you have a lot against this. Harambam is certainly opposed to this. You mind Ramban Nahmani, who's Spanish, I mean can't find more Sephardic than that, maybe an influence, quite quite certainly an influence from Ashkenazim in terms of his thought was driven by that, Uh, so maybe if you're pushing this back some eight, nine hundred years, yes, you're right, it is a divide to a certain extent between Svarad and Ashkenaz, Um, and and no surprise in this respect uh, then. Again, uh, what happens in this ellipsis, this dot, dot, dot afterwards, is Gaon Mivilna quotes a whole slew of Gemarot, Gaon Mivilna knew everything, a whole slew of Gemarot in which there's reference. Of course, quoting Gemarot doesn't per se prove anything uh, significant because each one of them will be defined as an allegory, as being mentioned for one reason or another. Okay? He writes however, you have many amulets mentioned in the Gemara, Hashime in Milispor, and you have mention of, of 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 incantations, it's hard to count how many times the rabbis taught. Ha hitato. It's the philosophy which drew Harambam away from a simple and proper interpretation of the Talmud. I mean by him, heaven forbid do I believe in them. It says all these matters are Pesha, need to be read in the most simple interpretation. I guess the easiest way to define those words. You should just know, Gaon Mivilna was quite, it appears, a surface learner. Far from it, he had a depth beyond most of the rabbis in the last three, 400 years that I know of in terms of their writing. So he had a real depth. He was very attuned to uh, allegory and a deeper meaning on this matter. He seems very, not seems he is very disturbed by Hanum Baum's approach. mute. <speaking in Hebrew> he says, "I'll be honest with you. Of course there's a depth, but Lopini balia a filosofia." Uh, which you should throw into the garbage, he maybe says. Not the depth with the philosophers, but rather that of the mystics, that of we'll call it the Kabbalists. Uh, those are Gaon Vilna's words. Those are very significant words. When did Gaul Mivilna live? From the early to mid slash late eighteenth uh, century. It's late seventeen hundreds. It's it's early to maybe seventeen is when he passed away. or So. All right. Um, Well, that's Gaon Mivilna's take take on this. Now, Now, remember that Gaon Mivilna is living during a time, I don't know if there's an irony to this or this might be part of it, I'm not fully certain, you see, Gaon Mivilna is living during a time during which there are threats and were threats, from all sorts of what he understood as and rightfully so, external thought that was infiltrating and hurting Judaism. Uh, not long before, not long before him, there was Shabbat Tzvi, There was a very much mystically driven and bringing thousands and tens of thousands of Jews away from a traditional practice of Judaism. Um, uh, during his time period, there's the birth of Hasidut, which he saw as an influence from Christianity and from different so. He he is
1: very... They were also very cut off, no? The,
0: the, they, they, they were very... He did live in Vilna, but he was cut off. There's no questioning that. I, I, for me, I, it's, it's not because if we turn this into just Gaon Vilna, it's one thing, but it right. wasn't just him. So to give this a full you know, psychological, social, anthropological a- analysis of Gaon Vilna... This has been, uh, over the course of our history, really the main the mainstay in terms of, or, or the main the main uh, um, uh, approach with regards to these models. The vast majority, I would, I haven't done, you know, the analysis uh, of commentators to these models, take them much more literally, literally yeah. than, than Harambam would. Um, it's interesting, and I just want to call attention to uh, A, for, for the point he makes, and B, to make a point on his point, Rabbi Fa'ur Zichrono Livrachah, here in source number three, in his book, he has a book, maybe less known, his, uh, a book written in Hebrew on Sefer Hamadav, Harambam. So in the first two pages of his book, um, he addresses this issue, Shedim uh, in the thought of Harambam, in a footnote. And uh, what he's angry at is that people assume Harambam must have thought because he was a philosopher. So he says, Gaon Mivilna is assuming Harambam didn't believe in Shedim, in demons, because he was a philosopher. The first point he makes is many philosophers, specifically in the Arab world, which Harambam was surrounded by and was well-versed in, did believe in demons so this is i can't i can't accept that as a as a just easy interpretation uh, in terms of hanam bam's approach to this matter that's what he writes in this first paragraph Actually, the question is,
1: does, and i don't know it well enough i said it should but does Haram bam contradict this anywhere else
0: so the answer to your question writing? it's a great question the answer to your question is that he rarely if ever again talks about shadim okay. so his silence Seems to, for many, speak much louder than anything else. So the fact that he's silent leads a lot to believe, oh, he didn't believe in them. Oh, and there's the proof. Uh, Rabbi Faur alternatively says the reason he was silent is because they didn't have halakhic ramification, and Mordechai didn't have another reason to talk about them. In other contexts, he didn't need to address it. Um, you know, needs to be analyzed fully. He he makes this point, he has a very interesting point as well that I want to call attention to. He says the reason he believes that Harambam did not take that source, of the Gemara that we mentioned in source number one, instead quotes this Midrash, is to make a point, this is an ironic point, he says whereas the Gemara already mentioned Ruhin, Shedim, and Lilin, HaRambam wanted a Midrash which just talks about Ruach or ruhot and to define it as Shed. In other words, HaRambam didn't want you to say, I'm, I'm, I'm Samed. He wanted to come to this Midrash and say, you see what the Midrash is talking about? It's talking about a Shed. It's a lot stronger, his claim. He gets across this point in a louder voice when he says, I'm defining for you what a Ruach is. It's a Shed. It's not just the Gimara. I'm telling you, that's my interpretation. Now, the, the, the point of Rabbi Fa'ur, though, and then he quotes from our More in, in Perek Zayin, is that, you see, Harambam even addresses and talks about a she'ed where he didn't need to. You see, he must have, he must have accepted the existence of she'edim. That's a little hard for me to understand what he's talking about, Rabbi Fa'ur, because... Ultimately speaking, the shed that Harambam is talking about is not the shed that Gaon Mivilna was talking about. That's the whole point of Harambam. He's telling you this shed is not a demon. It's a human being. So Gaon Mivilna, his, whole, his point is, you see, Harambam doesn't accept demons. That's right. So for Rabbi Forward to make a point, no, he does accept shedim. Don't say he doesn't accept shedim. You just assumed it. He didn't. He accepted shedim as human beings. That's he just used the same word. It's just uh, it's it's a little startling that he makes this point of it. He says Sorry, can, can
1: you, one, one thing on this, I think what he's trying to say, I don't, don't mm-hmm. think properly, is human beings have an effect no matter what they do. So if they act in a way that it's not that has having effect in the other direction, which is then. Can, could be considered demonic,
0: demonic. A hundred, that's the point. A hundred percent. It's not to say... That's, it, it's, it's it's 100% not to say there are demons, but rather that human beings are the demons. do things that ultimately... Exactly, will, exactly. They, they're coming. But, so that being the case, uh, I'm, it's, it's a he'ara ketana just on Rabbi Fa'ul, because he gets annoyed at Gaon Mivilna for assuming that Bam didn't have she'edim, because the philosophy says, no, he did have Shadim and he didn't have she'edim, like you just said. He had human beings who are demonic. Right. Okay, regardless, that all notwithstanding, I want to just take a few moments to just flesh out how this would and does play out in the thought of Haramba. Because it's a little bit, I say today, in the general Jewish thought world, it's a little bit called the simple Jewish thought world, it's a little bit untraditional. We're not used to hearing this, we're used to, or maybe in certain circles we are, but in other circles we're used to hearing the existence of, of demons, we have all these gemarot. How do you interpret these gemarot? Obviously, each one needs to be analyzed and discussed separately. But I want to just take a step back and try to give a, a general picture. That's my objective now in the, the rest of the class. First and foremost, to read the words of Harambam, which are very telling in Perik Yod Aleph, Vilchot Yod, Halacha Yod Aleph, Halacha In Halacha um, Yod, he has the following question. What's a hover? The Torah talks about not being involved or being with or being a hover haver. Look at it's Bam. They're talking, uh, things coming out of their mouth are not regular languages. They're talking, things coming out of their mouth are not regular languages. And they say words or incantations to snakes or to to, um, to uh, what, what's an akrav? A, uh, a, scorpion? a scorpion, and they assume as a result of those words they've they've that they won't harm, they'll say words to a person and say the person can't get harmed, they'll hold a key in their hand or a stone in their hand as they say these things and assume as a result there's some sort of power, all of this is Asur. He didn't say it doesn't have essence yet. He says the Torah says you're not allowed to do it. He says, furthermore, a person who believes in the haver, haver, is doing the wrong thing. Why is he doing the wrong thing? Kolot kolot the second line here on the second side, lo yare'u en otam. They will not do anything bad, nor will they do anything good. They are substance They have no substance to them. There is nothing to this. He's referring to, again, Pesukim in the Torah. In source number four on the page, for example, the Torah in Sefer Devarim, at the beginning of Sefer Devarim, Perik Dalet, has Moshe's words to the people in which he says, well, you're going to have a challenge. You might look up to the heavens and pay attention to the constellations and the galaxies and get drawn into them like those of of the Azara. Don't do so. God has separated that for the non-Jews and for the idolaters and pagans. You are am Israel are separated. simple interpretation simple reading of the pesukim is god gave them those forces and he gave you this force not that one is non existent says no that's not the way you read it the way you read it is that is nonsense silliness wrongful made up by human beings god separated you so you truly understand essence devarim hayelo here on the uh, on the third paragraph over here oh first on the second paragraph mishne akrab on a and see, there is uh, rabbinic statements that you're allowed to make those incantations in a circumstance where there's a danger. Wait a second, I thought the Torah forbade it. Wait a second, I thought there's no substance to it. Why should it be permitted? The reason is because since you might believe that this is effective, in order to save your life, in order to help you psychologically, it's permitted. Oh, that's interesting in and of itself as well, but again, Aram Bam's words are very telling and explicit. Divarim ha all these matters, Kulan Divre Sheker, the Chazav the she hena of David Azarah Kadmonim the Goyah, Ratzot Kedesh, Yinahu Aharehem. This is all made up by the leaders of the pagan and idolatrous sects in order to get people to follow them. That's all this is. Inu Eli Israel, But
1: these aren't. Which words: in it's just summarizing stuff: from the
0: Mostly, he's injecting his own interpretations. E. Yes. In your yes. Um, you're right. I should have given you sourcing and read it side by side, but you'll have to take my word on this. Um, that, they, that in this case, he's really injecting a little bit more. Yeah, beyond beyond, editorializing be, yes, yes. beyond the bottom line. Right. Again, it's not that he can't read it that way. It's that it's it's not it's not perforce the only. It's not perforce the simple interpretation of this.
1: Is this a concession that he's making, saying that there's something? Mentioned suge- in the
0: that says, you can do this. So but it's done. so so the concession, as I'll suggest it uh, in a Which moment, is but but. One and the same. Fine. Uh, in other words, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll, we'll return to such a thought. Uh, lastly, he writes in this last paragraph called Any person says, "Well, the Torah says you not allowed to do it, so I'll stay away from it." But the tarot card reader and the uh, psychic—there uh, the, is essence to it. God told me I can't go next to it. He says that person is silly, has a small mind, is stupid, and he likens it to whom once upon a time didn't have education women and children. Those who are knowledgeable, those who have complete intellect. They know with full certainty. Those things that the Torah prohibited is not because there is essence, just stay away from it. There is nothing. These are the words of Arambaam. Again, it's 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 there are little, few mistakes you can make in reading his words with regards to how strong he is, how forceful he is in his contention that anything and everything outside of true intellect is non-existent. It is nothing. There are no spirits that can affect you with some sort of essence or force outside of your own mind. Um, how does he, and he doesn't have a full interpretation and commentary to Talmud, how would he address Many of these Gemarot that do mention them in Midrashim, nobody knows the full answer. We can look at his students and those who followed in his ways to glean certain perspectives. There is a statement, I didn't find it for tonight, of Rabbein Avraham ben Haramba. Rabin Avraham, the son of Harambam, wrote an essay on the Agadot, on the Midrashim, which are mentioned in the Gemara. And in it, if I'm not mistaken, he has a line where he says that many, if not all, of the Shedim that are mentioned, the demons mentioned in the Gemara, he doesn't take them from being not literal, uh, from being literal. He instead says those are all dreams. Oh, that's an amazing statement. You know, he, he gets tripped up on the fact that, gets messed up on the fact that the Gemara has so many mentions. And he says, that, that's when the rabbis were dreaming these things. In other words, don't take it literally this actually took place, it was a dream. There, obviously, it has a message. Obviously, there's a lesson to be learned. Don't discredit it and assume there's nothing to be, but it wasn't actually there. Alternatively,
1: many
0: of these I can't tell you. I, so I can't that, that tell you that's what bin effectively is saying, uh, you know, when many other such-like circumstances. Rabbeinu haim Hamiiri, who was a follower and adherent of Harambam, is was a wonderful book written by um, Professor Moshe Halbertal, it's in Hebrew. Sorry,
1: it happened in their dream and then they, then they... They
0: recorded it in the Gemara, again, I don't have it That's in front of me, to... but I believe what he writes is it was a dream perception, in other words, it didn't actually... Maybe his way of saying dream is it's It's imagined. In other words, this didn't actually happen, it's a story they told. Or it's a story they told in order to get across a message. They told a story about what happened with these rabbis when they encountered the demon in order to teach the students and you and me a lesson. Uh, not per se that there was a demon that, that they encountered, rather in their imagination in their sleep or whatever they encountered. But that being the case, it goes like this. So Rabbeinu Menachem who's a 13th century rabbi living as well in southern France, like Radak, in Perpignan, if I'm not mistaken, um, who very much uh, adheres to a Maimonidean system of philosophy, uh, although France, northern France was, had a, a whole different uh, perspective and approach to Uh, Jewish thought and even halacha. southern France, which was closer to Spain, was a lot more affected by uh, philosophical thinking and Maimonidean Harambam thought. Uh, He has, uh, in several places, whenever the Gemara talks about these sorts of matters, he has comments. So I brought two of them to give you a certain perspective for, in my mind, the two approaches that he'll have to these sorts. One is an allegorical interpretation to a certain extent, and the other one is envisioning it as a concession of the rabbis to what people believe. I'll give two examples to get across this point. First one is a Gemara in the beginning of Maseche Pirachot and Dafhei. The Gemara over there says the reason you can and should say, Keriat Shema al Hamita, you should say Keriat Shema before you go to sleep, is so that mazikin bedelin hemenu, so that those who will harm you, spirits who would harm you, will be bedelin, Separate themselves from you. Well, it seems to be granting the existence of uh, spirits that can harm you. In his commentary, writes, uh, its interpretation for me is We're not referring to external forces and spirits. It's rather the forces and spirits that you and I are well familiar with that can harm us. Those are false thoughts. Those are misleading ideas. When we go to sleep at night and we have time for our mind to wander, instead of letting it wander in the wrong direction, says Mi'iri, set say, say yourself straight on Yehud Hashem. And, and as a result, your sleep, your mind, as it strays, as it wanders, will be set straight. So what he does effectively then is say Mazikin, are no external force at all. Very much in line with Harambam. Very much in line with the Harambam that we write about. The Shedim we started the the night with. The Shedim being the demonic force inherent within a human being who isn't thinking straight.
1: It's, you're not that at that moment.
0: Correct, you are not Tamim in that moment and in turn you are skewed and your mind and your approach is, is, is shade like uh, as you can conceive it. Elsewhere, Mi'iri uh, in, in, uh, in what is a famous passage in Massechet Pesahim at the end on Daf Koftet, the Gemara over there is addressing what's known as Zugot. Zugot was an ancient belief that um, you shouldn't have twos, you shouldn't have doubles, whereas today people get nervous about hamsa, fives. There was once in the time of the Gemara not having doubles, don't have two of anything. And in turn, the rabbis wondered, how was it okay, how is it okay that we have four cups of wine at the seder? Well, those are two groups of twos altogether. You shouldn't uh, should make it a three or a five. That's a problem. And the Gemara has all sorts of clever interpretations to why it was okay. The most famous one being among many others, on a full amud and a half, if I'm not mistaken, of Gemara, addressing this issue. Listen to how seriously they're taking it. That a demon will affect when you have doublets. It is not only unlucky, harmful or potentially harmful for you to have doublets of anything but also sorts of interpretation one of the famous ones is that they cite the pasuk in parashat bo that in parashat bo that um, the night on which makat bechorot took place the night on which we celebrate leil haseder is a night which was leil shimurim Those words are hard to translate. What's shimurim, something that's safeguarded. The rabbis have it as, mishumar uba min hamazikin. It's a night which is safeguarded and wards off all those demonic forces. Oh, says the Gemara, that's why on this night and only on this night can we have the doublets, can we have four cups. The Gemara has several other interpretations with regards (laughs) to this. All right, all right. Well, it's yom top sheni. it's mishumar as well. But ultimately speaking, says Meiri, what is going on here? How are we talking so seriously about this? Why are the rabbis expending so much energy on this issue, which I've made clear for you, he says to us, is not a reality. Harambam has told us, is almost, is almost touching on uh, pagan idolatrous practices, rites, and thoughts. Bekama mekomot, writes there in Pesachim daf koftet, Biarnu Shebe Otamazmanim in those times, Hayuha Amnim Shahim Ahadvarim Hamonim, the people used to be led by in their minds, the masses. The masses had these sorts of wrongful thoughts. Kile Hashim Nehashim Pyolotamoniot Um, incantations and uh, witchcraft and sorcery and all those sorts of matters anything that the rabbis discerned and decided it's not that dangerous it's silly it's stupid it's wrong but it's not dangerous that it's going to bring you to wrongful activity and wrongful thought along the lines of Avodah Zarah Okay, just leave it with the people. It's a concession to the people. It's the way they're living. I'm going to uproot that from... If It's dangerous. I have to uproot it. Alternatively, just leave, leave it... be. And all the more so, he says, on matters which if you talk to the people and tell them, no, you can't do that incantation. Yes, you must have doublets because this is all... Right it's going to cause them psychological, emotional angst and and difficulty. uh, In such a circumstance, the rabbis allowed for this. They even contended and explained it to the people to assuage their fears, to get them calm and not disturbed, to lead them in a place that, uh, in their wrongful thinking, it's at the very least not dangerous, Uh, it's not going to bring them down the wrong path, and they in turn will be emotionally stable. He says the Gemara he has a very clever reading of the Gemara. The Gemara over there says the kapid kapdinan le, the la le. The Gemara over there says a person who who cares about the demons or of of, of the, cup, the doublets, the that will affect him. A person who doesn't care, it won't care about him. What sort of statement is that? Is that an existential a reality, or alternatively, he's saying if you care about it, well then it's going to affect you psychologically. Uh, alternatively, it won't. He says, as a result, this is what zugot is. Ironically, he points out as well as an amazing thing. He says that there's another halakha that, and and he kind of just mentions this, that was birthed out of this concession of the rabbis. Um, This other halakha we've discussed in the halakha class more than once. You see, if the first night of Pesach is also a Friday night, now generally speaking of Friday nights, we have a prayer that we say after Amidah, whereas in Arbit, generally speaking, there's no hazara, and there's no anything. On Friday nights, we have a Beracha, Hatme, Encheva, Maginabot, and so forth. Now, the Gemara tells us in masechet the that the reason he did that was because the synagogue used to be far out of the city. And as a result, it was dangerous, because of demons and bandits and anything of that sort, if a person came late to synagogue for them to return by themselves walking through the countryside. That's a dangerous time. And uh, as a result, we extended the prayer just a bit so that everyone would finish on time and walk back in a group. That's a statement of the Gemara. What happens when the first night of Pesach is also a Friday night? There's a tremendous debate about this. But what, what emerges, according to many, uh, as the halacha which Me'iri mentions, is we don't say Since that night is already protected from demons, as a result, Shimurim. We don't say it. Now, this is, until today, a hot topic in the halacha world. Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef, he was just in America last week. He was talking uh, two weeks ago. He was alluding to this. He's been fighting this. This is a question of the Kabbalists versus the others. Uh, there's a whole conversation about it. But ironically, it says Me'iri, this was all just to negate the concession, right? No, 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 we're conceding. You believe in this Zukot business? All right, but it's a safe night. Th- it led them in turn to deal with a tifilah, which ironically is also probably a concession, right? Because because there aren't those demons who will affect you on your way back, and then negated. It means we constructed this whole right. edifice all out of uh, dealing with the psyche and, and thoughts of the people and emotional well well with well with well with all of the people, Uh, Mi'iri then sets forth for us, to my mind, two approaches to these demons mentioned in the Gemara in the thought of Haramba. What are those two approaches? One, to to allegorically envision many of those sugyot, to see the demon as being from us as opposed to outside of us. And alternatively, yes, people believed in this, and as a result, The rabbis contended with it. If it was dangerous, they would have uprooted it. If it was a circumstance that wasn't dangerous and to convince them otherwise would be dangerous for them, uh, they left it with them and explained ways of dealing with this appropriately. It means just to put the whole class together. Um, in a moment, Harambam's words here in Chelak Aleph and Perik which again were no surprise because we learned them in the past, and they're directly in line with his thought about Shedim, is one in which he makes clear Shedim are not, cannot, and will not be some sort of force outside of our minds and outside of the world that you and I know. That is what exists. There's Borei Ulam, there's true intellect and thought, and then there's me and you. And ultimately speaking, our job, our perspective, our direction is to refine that thought, to bring it to a state of being where it is divine. So then what are shehdim, which the rabbis mention, Well, it's part and parcel with our description of what reality is all about. If reality is about refining your thought, when you haven't refined your thought, you have created or allowed for the demon within you to, so to speak, take over. When the Gemara, when the Midrash in turn describes those children of Adam HaRishon, prior to Sheh, who was B'Tzelem having the true intellect, they were Shedim. they looked and talked like human beings, but they were altogether different in terms of their understanding and approaches of mind in this world. Intellectually that, deficient. Intellectually deficient. That was in stark contrast, we said, ironically, to Rav Sheri who said they had deficiency, and it wasn't external demons, but it was a physical one. That's a fascinating thing. Haram Babs said, what are you talking about? I mean, he doesn't talk directly to him. This is this all and anything that we'll talk about with regards to deficiency. It's a true deficiency. It's an intellectual one. We just pointed out over the course of the rest of the class how this was and until today, at least in my mind, is not the popular view. Norman pointed out it was historically maybe a Sepharad versus Ashkenaz approach. In today's day and age, we generally envision it as a Harambam versus everyone else type of approach. And Gaon Mivilna makes that point, and it's not even so bold and courageous, because he's really just speaking what... I imagine everyone else was saying, he says, everybody hit him on the head. They did. They all got nervous about this. They all yelled at him after. We're not just talking about Nachman. We're talking about pretty much Everyone in the Jewish thought world, not everyone, but many of them, uh, we in turn understood at greater uh, at, 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 and, and developed at a greater length Harambam's vision of these sorts of external realities as being silly, wrongful, and non existent from his words in Hilchot Abu Dazara, Perik Yodalf, and his Mishneh Torah. And lastly, addressed briefly so, how could or would someone with a Harambam thought and mind address how the rabbis talk about these demons in many places in Talmud, suggesting based on me, Eerie that the approach could and would be one of two, either to allegorically envision it, like he said with Kiryat it's killing those, or it's warding off the demons, the demons in your mind, so you think straight, you go to sleep with Kiryachima. or alternatively, yes, this is the way people are thinking, so the rabbis, to a certain extent, turn the other way and say, okay, that's the way you think? Here, let me tell you how to rectify that. It's not because they're admitting to the existence, it's rather because they're admitting to your existence, to your challenges, and within the constructs and the constraints of, Your life and your mind at that time. They're telling you a way in which you can appreciate and attempt to live a life of meaning. Uh, That in my mind, I believe, gives there's much more to say about this, but gives a, a pretty decent breadth and vision of uh, the world of demons in the thought of Harambam and thought of, of of a rational thinker like Harambam, of someone who will tell us consistently that Kiddushah, that tahara, that Tum'ah, that all these sorts of matters are constructs and ideas which affect us and are not something external, well, straight in line with that is mentioned as well, of Shedim, it's a construct, it's an idea which is inherent in us, not something outside of us. Baruch Adonai, alam, amen, amen.